0: This is Stand Up, Speak Up, the podcast that raises awareness and encourages support to those feeling hurt, lost, or forgotten.
1: First of all, nobody's ever going to make me happy. You know, I've made so many prerequisites for what a boyfriend would have to have that that person doesn't exist. The first one, right off the top, it makes it kind of impossible because he has to be straight. (laughs) I mean, he has to be straight when I meet him. Or, he has, but he never really considered to himself, you know, he maybe experimented or whatever. Because if that happens, then I will be the one person that they can be their true selves in front of. And then I will be the most important person in their life.
2: Welcome to Stand Up, Speak Up, a Canadian podcast featuring those who have sometimes been left behind in the margins highlighting important social issues, and giving a voice to those who don't often get heard. I'm your guest host, Peter Anthony Holder. This is the second of two episodes featuring a man who in his early life, his voice was often heard, and he was often seen. As the saying goes about New York, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And at one time, in certain corners, Michael Aleg was the toast of the town. As you heard in the first part of our two-part feature, he was the subject of media intrigue. In the 80s and early 90s, Alec was the Pied Piper of the club scene. As the founder and ringleader of the Club Kids, he was out to see and be seen. He was flying high, literally, clubbing in a drug culture world. But then he gained notoriety of a different kind, the kind you get when you commit a heinous, brutal murder. In 1996, Michael, along with roommate Robert Riggs, killed and dismembered another roommate, fellow clubber Andre Angel Melendez. Melendez was also a drug dealer. For committing the crime, Michael was incarcerated for 17 years, quite a bit of it in solitary confinement. In our last episode, Carla Stevens-Tolstoy talked with him as they discussed his time behind bars. This time, Carla focuses more on his life on the outside as a free man. Tell me a little bit about um, your Christmas.
1: I stayed home alone all day and then Kyoki went to, um, I was expecting Kyoki to come over on Christmas day and decorate the tree because I didn't want to do it alone and that's the only time he would come. So I waited until Christmas Day to do that. And then at, like, 7 o'clock at night, he still had to come. And then he called me and he said, why don't I just send an Uber for you? We're over at my friend Jane's house. So I said, okay. So the Uber didn't come until 2 o'clock in the morning. And I sat there with my box of Christmas decorations and did nothing.
0: So that was kind of – did you see <laughs> Did you see family or anything?
1: No. The, my, my mom's in Indiana.
0: And you didn't go out there and, and my,
1: visit? I didn't. You know, my, my mom has – some very severe uh, mental problems that make it almost impossible for anybody to visit her.
0: Did you grow up with that as well?
1: Yeah, that's why we didn't have those holidays. But How you know, long? when I was when, when I was away, of course, part of her illness you know, makes her very manipulative, and while I was away, she did nothing but guilt trip me about how all she wants before she dies is to have her two sons together at home for one last Christmas, one last New Year's. I said, Mom, we've never celebrated a New Year's or a Christmas together, ever. Why would you suddenly start when I go away? They got me on December 4th, and when we got toward Christmas, um, I called my mom. She said, oh, and this year I had the whole house decorated for Christmas. I said, you waited until now to do this? the the day the year I go away I said take a picture of the the house I'd like to see that because I didn't believe her and um, she said well it's too late now I take it all down (laughs) all down yeah all down because I didn't come home so another guilt another guilt trip yeah she's German and that's how they you know they were raised on guilt and her mother was schizophrenic so she didn't have a very good childhood and my, she was always, my grandmother was always trying to kill herself and she would come home from school and she'd have my grandma would have her head in the oven, you know, just awful things for a kid to see.
0: I know, like, is that, do you think that's, that, that's all the reasons why?
1: Why what? Yeah. Why Why everything happened? Well, I don't know, you know, it's hard to say, there's a mix of things, you know.
0: Yeah, because... You, like, I don't think
1: you can point your finger to any one thing. But definitely it was not a normal, which, you know, you don't realize until you see other families. You don't realize that that was not normal.
0: And, and okay, and so now you're working in your art, which is really, like, super unique and super interesting, and
1: Mm -hmm. how's that going? Well, like I said, I've been procrastinating um, painting the new collection because I was waiting for the gallery to um, pick up the images at Staples, where I had them enlarged. They had no intention to doing that because that's my job so I guess I was like looking for an excuse
0: to create some of the the artwork uh, to
1: to keep some I was looking for a, a reason to not have to paint not to have to do anything yeah, which no, is no. weird because I love to paint once I get started I'm like I go on I get on a roll and I could paint for you know, weeks but and it's you, getting you started just, just like
0: you'll just stay up all night like you're a night hawk right
1: yeah yeah and so what will you
0: do tonight what do you think you're going to do tonight
1: Um, I'm going to paint, because I've got seven or eight things that I have to finish that are, they've been paid for already, and people complain for some reason. (laughs) And do you
0: still, are you, when do you think you'll do the art show in January, you think, or February? No,
1: no, no, we're looking, we're looking at March now, because they really want to promote the show. They want to, like, do a really heavy promotion, and that will, they need time to do that. So they're happy to postpone it for a while.
0: And how how do you think... How are you doing? How are you feeling? Like, are you feeling...
1: How... Like, are you feeling good? Or is it... Mm, I I mean, you know, uh, sometimes... uh, You know, it's not natural for human beings to to feel happy all the time. No, it's It's, totally not. Yeah, it's not our natural... No, it's not. And even like... And in fact, fact it's not healthy. We've been taught that, that it's bad to feel anxiety and depression and fear and all that. It's actually very good for us because it makes us come up with creative solutions to things and, you know, makes you know it successful.
0: I hate the process. And I hate it sometimes when I get, like, well, then anxious or depressed. You know what happens? I, I, what? Get, I get stupid. My brain doesn't work as well. Like, I feel like my brain just, you like, see, shuts but I down. Think,
1: I don't, you know, I, I'm not a doctor. But I really think that's all learned behavior. Because society says it's, it's wrong to feel sad. It's wrong to feel depressed. So you have to take medication for it. Because you've got an illness.
0: I know, but yeah, and, and like sometimes, like I think that medication is the only thing that kind of
1: well, sometimes works, it's but probably true,
0: and I know. That's if, you, wrong. if you
1: literally, if you legitimately have a chemical imbalance or whatever, then that's something different.
0: But I still don't get over how you dealt in solitary. Like sometimes, when I think about your experience,
1: I can anxiety. Did.
0: Think about it. I do. Cause yeah, I, I do think, too. Okay, you know I what? I don't. I don't know if I could do it, and and I also think I don't know if I could do jail, um, without, without drugs. And I'm not saying that, right? Beca- right. Because you use drugs. I'm saying like like honestly, I don't know how I would get through the day.
1: Well, let me tell you, you're, you're not alone. Everybody in jail feels that way, and they're all on drugs.
0: What was your drug of choice in when you were in um, solitary or in the prison system? Oh, okay. Okay, and so how long does that good feeling last? Does it ever weaken? Like, um, what's it like the first time no. compared to the continual?
1: Um, it's always the same. That's
0: why it's so addictive. You always get that that feel good feeling. Mhm. And and it gives an extra confidence, right? Like, does it give you yeah, energy yeah. or does it make you sleepy?
1: Yes. It
0: gives you energy. Um, it gives me energy. Yes. Okay. Now, why are some people get energy from it and other people sleepy from I it? I think
1: most people do. Um, I think most people get energy from it, uh, especially people who are um, using it regularly.
0: Okay. So that is a natural feeling. And what, what's it feel like during the withdrawal?
1: Uh, it, like a really bad flu.
0: And like I said, a restless um, leg syndrome? Like, do you get oh, just... Oh, yeah. You
1: have shaking. Yes. Yes. It's awful.
0: And, and That's how... the first sign. And how many pills could you have started, like, how how many would an average person start off with, for instance, after, like, five-year use builds up to? Like, how much do they need?
1: You don't necessarily have to build up. I mean, I went for five or six or seven years um, just maintaining the same uh, every day, like, one bag in the morning, one at night.
0: What, and so what was the milligram of that, it, like, if we're...
1: I like it probably a tenth of a gram. Okay, bag. so
0: you could just take one in the morning and one at night. Would the one at night keep you awake, though?
1: No, um, because, you know, your body gets used to the the rhythm of, you know, and um, the routine. It, it doesn't want to go to bed.
0: Does it make you um, want to work
1: out or, or like? Yes, it... yes. <laughs> it makes me want to work out and write and paint and all those things
0: okay so what
1: build houses
0: (laughs) so how do how do people wean themselves off of that like how do you get used to not feeling that euphoria you know
1: the only there's only one way to do it and unfortunately it's the way that Americans don't like these things Um, you have to put the time and effort into it it's a lot of time (coughs) because it takes you know a year probably to get back to, to rewire the brain and that you know, No American wants
2: to take a year to do anything. Carla, do you agree that it sounds like he's still on drugs and doesn't have any intention of getting off of them?
0: I think with Michael, I think that taking drugs has become normalized for him. Not all drugs, but drugs that perhaps ease his anxiety, such as maybe Xanax or Xanax or, or weed or, or something that just makes him feel relaxed. I think he knows he shouldn't be doing the hard drugs, but the pull is too strong. And I think that that frustrates him and saddens him and makes him want to just give it all up. And when I say give it all up, I mean just, just life. I don't think that prison did any good for him. It didn't rehabilitate him. I mean, yes, maybe you can say it made him stronger. It made him brighter with all his reading. But I think that Michael was all those things beforehand And I don't think it put any effort into getting him off drugs and getting him in a place where he could transition back to the outside
2: world. Michael talked a bit about his mother when you asked him about his Christmas. He kind of goes off on her, so I've got a question for you about his relationship with his mom. But before we get to that... I want to play a couple of clips from Geraldo Rivera's show, Geraldo, from the 90s, back when the club kids were still all the rage and both Michael and his mother Elke were guests. First here's a clip where his mother talks about him as a kid.
3: Elke was, uh, was Michael, kind of uh, a kid that got knocked around by his pals.
4: There were occasions uh, when he would come home, and I would question him about a bloody nose or a bruise on his face, or a look. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he would say, "Oh, I fell," or "I got into a ruffle." Um, but what
3: really happened was the straight kids were
4: the straight kids saying, "Look at the at CC, school. look at the
3: freak, and knock right. him around."
4: were um, teasing him and roughing him and up, and now I want them uh, to the
3: club. <laughs> and now they're online outside your club.
2: And here's a second clip where his mom Elkie, explains the ecstasy that Michael gave her. Now,
3: is it true that you turned your mother on to so she could understand you better? And um, no, so I didn't turn her on so that she could understand me better. I guess I turned on because it's a lot of it was a lot of. I mean, you're talking about ecstasy, I guess, because it was a lot of fun. And and you gave one to your mom? I gave some to my mother. And mom's here, mom, Elkie... Yes. What happened when, uh, when Michael did that? It
4: was a headache pill.
3: He <laughs> thought it was a headache pill? Yes. And how did you feel after you took this I pill? got rid
4: of my headache. <laughs> now,
3: where was uh, Michael raised? Okay.
4: He was raised in South Bend, Indiana.
3: In South Bend, Indiana. Yes. Now, what would the folks in South Bend, the home of Notre Dame University, say if they saw Michael now?
4: More power, too, you.
3: <laughs> do you feel... I, I don't want to... Again, I don't want to get too heavy too soon, but, I mean, you, you took a, a drug from him, he, he got you loaded, and then what happened? What did you talk about?
4: It wasn't a drug. It was a headache, I'll tell you. And I, I, I felt really, really good. And uh, he says... Uh, Were you and
3: Michael able to communicate in a way you had not been able to previously?
4: No. Michael and I communicate no matter what.
3: What do you think about his lifestyle?
4: I must say michael's so much happier now that he's in new york being able to express himself and uh is doing what he wants to do and making money doing something that he enjoys and uh, i think so you approve definitely
2: so now that you've heard the clips my question is carla when you spoke to michael he seemed to place a lot of blame on her when talking about the holidays, yet the image we have of her from the two clips on Geraldo seem to indicate a more loving, more accepting mom. Which image do you think is more accurate, if at all? That's an interesting question.
0: I think he has a love-hate relationship with his mother. Sometimes I'll meet kids that have been in the foster care system and their mothers have abandoned them. Their mothers have beaten them, but they still love their mothers. And I think that's a bond that's very hard to break. And I think for Michael, he loves his mom, but he doesn't like his mom.
2: Thanks, Carla. Now we take you to the final part of this conversation with Michael Alec. Carla delves into his relationships both behind bars and once he got out. You fell in love
0: when you were in jail. But I then, thought I did. You I, thought you did. But I thought
2: then, I did.
0: Have you met anyone since you've been and, and out? And I guess
1: I did, but you know, he's married and like, just two yeah. kids.
0: And... I know, that's a little complicated, but have you met anybody since you've been out?
1: Yeah, we have a lot of people. <laughs> but
0: anybody that like, you kind of see as a soulmate?
1: Well, soulmate, that's a really heavy one. Uh, you know, I told there was Jay, but yeah. that wasn't bad. That was kind of a... a a good thing.
0: Okay, well, what would, be, what would be a soulmate? Like, what would your
1: soulmate be like? You know, I don't, I've, 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 I've got a lot of very close friends that are, my, that are my, that take the place of that in my life. And I learned that, like, 20 years ago, I learned that that was going to be my fate because, or my destiny, because somebody like me, I, I am, it's so difficult. First of all, nobody's ever going to make me happy, you know, because I'm I have to have, you know, I've made so many prerequisites for what a boyfriend would have to have that that person doesn't exist.
0: Well, what are some of them? Like if he walked in tomorrow, what would you, what's your fantasy boyfriend? Well,
1: the first one right off the top, it makes it kind of impossible because um, he has to be straight.
0: (laughs) Okay. Really? Yeah. And what do you mean by that?
1: <laughs> yeah right <laughs> it's already a little difficult yeah like um, okay
0: what does that mean
1: I mean he has to be straight when I meet him
0: you I mean he's never had any other relationships with a male before
1: or he has but he never really considered himself you know he maybe experimented or whatever
0: and why do you think that's, that's important to you because if that
1: happens then I will be the one person that they can be their true selves in front of and then I will be the most important person in their life
0: and that she would be a definition of loyalty of love of
1: oh, well I guess to love yeah
0: okay what else would you like them to be like what do, how what what kind of education would you see them having
1: oh that's not really important to me i although i'd like them to have you know traditional education isn't important to me but education is um, but I, I don't care if they're book smart i, I but i would like them to have their wits about them and be able to carry on a complex conversation and that kind of thing. But that's really not important. I, the second thing I well, another thing would be that I don't want them to be drug addicts, but I also don't want them to tell me no, if I want to use drugs. <laughs> okay.
0: So you, you don't want them to hold you to like th-
1: an impossible standard.
0: And do you think n- not doing drugs is an impossible standard?
1: Um, not doing
0: any kind of drug ever. I think, I mean, I'm on Suboxone right now. There's no way I could get that out. And does Suboxone still give you that high, or what does it make you feel
1: like? It does. You know, that's the biggest, one of the biggest lies in medical, the medical world, that because they sell it. The way they sell Suboxone to the public is that junkies don't get high from it. It blocks opiates. Well, it does block opiates, but you do get high from it.
0: Okay, you do. So how would the feeling compare to Oxy? I don't know. To Are they both the same
1: feeling, or is one better? It's a little bit. There's a slight difference, but if you didn't tell somebody, you know, the difference really is in the taste of the drug. um, If you didn't tell somebody that you're giving them Suboxone, you just injected it to them, they would take a talent. So what are the
0: benefits, then, of Suboxone? It it comes with um, Narcan in it. So the only benefit
1: is you can't overdose? No, you can't take any actual opiates. Because with methadone, you could take methadone, and a lot of people will take methadone just so they have to do less heroin. <laughs> Are you hoping your artwork will send a
0: message or help change things at any levels? You like know, our-
1: The show that we had scheduled for um, Los Angeles, um, the gallery owner, I, I don't know if I told you, had her life threatened, um, and um, the person who threatened her life didn't, understand or appreciate um, the irony of threatening to kill somebody for having an art show of an artist who had killed somebody.
0: She had threatened? Did that scare her?
1: It did. Um, the letter was written, you know, it started out something like, yo, motherfucker, you pissed off the wrong motherfucker bringing that what, crack-ass motherfucker to the alley you know, like, and he said, I'll, bitch, I'll stab you in the face. I'll wait outside your gallery stab you in the face. You know, like, like, Crazy! They also threatened the life of a um, uh, club owner that had the party.
0: What? Like what? What did you think when you heard all that?
1: Well, the gallery was, was very excited because it got there was so much attention. Um, that's that's true. And, and also, it became a, a, a issue of censorship, um, and that's where the Donald Trump thing comes in because um, when you have a president like Trump, um, it, who is already been compared to Hitler, you can't help but compare. Also, what happened to the art world during that time in Germany, where Hitler was, you know, jailing artists for not making his kind of art, and like, you know, he was controlling the art, basically. And that's what they're trying to do here. They were comparing the person who threatened the gallery owner with, um, with Hitler.
2: <laughs> have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.
0: When you market your, your, your art, will you be talking about your past or are you just going to not no. part that as part of it no. and just talk about today?
1: No. Yeah, I I don't think it really has anything to do with it. Okay.
0: But do do you feel you have to like state that from a promotional standpoint, or are you going to not bring it up and just keep mm. it separate? I, I
1: suppose I, I I suppose I should say that I I have to respond in some way, so I I suppose that's the way to respond.
0: What do you want them, them to say done. when they said, "Tell us who this artist is"? You know that somebody's looking at your art. What do you want?
1: You know. That, I, that it's kind of a defensive question because it's sort of like they say, what does this painting mean? Because a painting is supposed to evoke a feeling yeah. and, you know, they say a picture of a thousand words it's supposed to evoke a feeling that can't really be explained in words so to explain it in words would make the p- painting kind of useless
0: But if they say, no, it, you know, like, I mean like explain the artist, like, tell me who's this artist? How, how do you want the gallery owner to t- talk about who you
1: are? Oh, well that's something different because I, I would help them by maybe the, um, you know, some kind of um, press release or something, which we did for my show in New York. Um, But uh, so far, the the gallery owners who I've done shows with have all known me so well that they could write, they they have written better bios on me than I could write myself. Um, Because, you know, when people who aren't you um, write about you, uh, oftentimes they can write about you in a very objective and they see things that you don't sometimes.
0: So do they bring up your past in that bio? Do they refer to you as a club kid?
1: Yeah, they did, but only in kind of passing. But they brought up my whole time, you know, growing up in Indiana, you know, the whole thing. So that's part of it.
0: Do you want to, like, kind of remove yourself from that incident?
1: Did you really just ask me that?
0: (laughs) No, I mean, like, no, I mean, like, I think you do. Like, I think that's important to you, but I don't don't know if to, you know. Yeah but you're you're unique in so many ways from different people and that you've had movies about you and probably books about yeah, you and I mean I think something that's really interesting about you that that I that I find as a outsider looking in is just your process of reinventing yourself is is quite interesting because you've had to do that a few times now.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the Um, you know something that Madonna really has uh, massified and she came up she came out of the same scene I think that the scene that she was part of and I was part of were we had people before us who were doing that as well Um, and that was all very new at that time people weren't doing that you didn't see pop stars coming with a second act and a third act and and certainly you didn't see 60 year old pop stars Um, but um, I guess like Rudolph and Anita Sarko and that whole Group um, taught us that you have to do that. Um, that this is the new thing. You know, New York is, was, has always been the place where the new. See, this is the concept I think is interesting. That New York has always been the place where new things start and you, you know, spread to the country. And at that time, that was the new thing. The new thing was reinventing yourself over and over and over and over. Okay. So that you will never be, you know. <laughs> and so the club kids would take. Whatever idea, the concept for the club kids was to take whatever concept, whatever idea is coming out of club land at the moment and massify it. Um, and so that was one of the things we tried to massify, was reinventing itself. And so the club kids were meant to epitomize whatever new trend came out. So, like when Vogue came out or Acid House and Raving or whatever, we, be, we became the epitome of that trend.
0: And then once that part of your identity, you know, evolved and you moved into going into the the prison system, how did you reinvent yourself then? Like, how would you describe who you were or your brand during those years? Well,
1: Rudolph was the one who uh, wanted to talk. He kind of, I guess he did all the things that a father would do, you know, his son was going through that. You know, Rudolph is a very pragmatic person. He's one of the most pragmatic people I've ever met, he explained to me how I could make something positive out of being there by, um, you know, life, life has cycles that go goes, goes through, and you have to take advantage of the downside in order to plan for the next upside. Mm-hmm. So um, he said I'm taking this time to plan for my next, you know, whatever, And because I would have to do that anyway. And now I just have a much better, I will have a leg up because I have a lot of time and a lot of free time to plan that, which is true. That's why I wrote you know, books and I wrote three screen, well, three treatments for screenplay, and a bunch of stuff I prepared for, you know, now. Almost everything I'm doing now is stuff that I started back then.
0: So, would you say your personality um, when you were in the system was more quiet? Would you say? like
1: um, you- More quiet than this, <laughs> than I am now. But to them, I would know I was not quiet.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, would oh, you describe yourself normal. as more academic? Because were you you're reading a lot more and doing more academic I, I, things? I, was,
1: I wasn't putting post up on my face and running naked through hot Square, but I thought I was acting very normal. But like to them, I was still like some kind of like they really didn't understand me because the only kind of gay people they know are like gay people, like you know, like really gay people. They don't understand somebody who's a little bit of in between. You know, you're either, uh, you're either a drag queen or you're, you're, like, a straight man. You know, like, you can be gay, but you have to act like a man or a woman. And I'm kind of, like, a little bit in between, and that really scared a lot of people, and it scared them. Did you
0: find that you moved into a leadership role when you were in prison, or did you just always keep to yourself?
1: I was the only person in every facility that I went to, because it's very segregated. You are with blacks and whites and gays and Spanish and whatever group. Um, and I was the only person at every facility that was allowed in each group, Go so from table to table, to table and be accepted and welcomed in each group.
0: So you and were a really people- good. So, so you were really good at socializing and social
1: um, right. graces. Weird only America. <laughs> uh,
0: well, but I think that's a skill, right? That's. I'm-
1: Special social life or whatever, or, or, you no, know, social part of life.
0: No, yeah, but, yeah, a, a social... Well, I guess w- there's a word for people that can move within different groups. I forget the word right now, but... Uh, maybe like a chameleon, you can kind of... Yeah, yeah. Maybe a chameleon well, that's, quality.
1: How describe, that's how I describe the culture, cult because I cultural chameleon.
0: Okay, interesting. Okay, so then... Okay, so then you leave the prison system, and then how... Who, who do you become at that point? What's your, you know, your new brand I-
1: identity or your... You know, it took me a lot longer to readjust than I, than I thought. I really misjudged the difficulty and the, the difficulty that I have in adjusting. And although some would say I'm extremely fortunate, because I am extremely fortunate. Um, that I mean, like, who comes home, first of all, who comes home a things like that and gets even a job, let alone a good place to live and a job offer. I mean, it's like I really need to remind myself every day of how fortunate I am because I can't even imagine one day George says, well, you have to pay rent now or you have to give it, you know, whatever. I I don't know how to survive.
0: Do you have a lot of gratitude? I mean, it seems like you do. do.
1: Yes. I don't display it publicly because I think that it's gross um, and it seems manipulative. But when I don't, display it publicly i'm accused of not being grateful
0: well what do you do i mean do you still i mean i imagine you still have some dark days it's not all Mm -hmm. rosy right so how many Mm -hmm. how many days do you feel when you feel i don't know you know this is just so much work like life is just so much work
1: well honestly i feel that way almost every day but I can't really express it because I would seem like the most ungrateful person in the world.
0: Oh, well, I think you can expect it. It's like it.
1: No, express it.
0: Yes. I, well, I mean, I think you can express it. I think like you would but be. I, I can I express close Inhuman to not have all those feelings. I mean, I mean, I can't. I can't imagine. I,
1: I, 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 I can express such close friends, but I could never post anything like that on Facebook or anything like that. I would be. I would be like lynched.
0: I don't know, don't you think people love to see the human side and
1: they would feel almost, almost closer to you? They do, but I think they love even more to attack somebody who's, who they already see as feeling entitled and privileged and, you know, given everything and on a silver platter, which, by the way, I didn't. You know, I worked very hard for everything I got. I did not, it wasn't, nothing was given to me, but it is now <laughs> because I'm kind of like, I guess I'm kind of uh, reaping the benefits now of all that hard work.
0: But I wouldn't say life is so easy for you right now. You're not reaping all the benefits. I mean, you're still well, s- struggle.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm reaping a lot of benefits. I, I don't have to have to pay for my house to live in, which is a huge thing. Uh, well, the only thing I have to pay for is my phone and food. I don't get any public assistance, which I'm proud of. Uh, my mom was on food stamps and all of those things her whole life, and she still is, and I don't want to live like that. So,
0: when you think of yourself, where do you want to be in five years?
1: Well, I took a lot of time off this year because Kanky, um, did was doing that Monday night thing um, at Rumpus Room in the Lower East Side and nobody knew about it because he's not a promoter, he's a DJ. And he, he's, it's always been the case that he was not able to promote the parties he DJed. I think that's not his job. Um, but people see him, think of him as this very... A DJ who DJs at very successful events, that's because they were mine <laughs> and um, or somebody else's. But Tokyo's never had a successful event of his own that he promoted. So, But people continue to hire him because of the success of Disco 2000 and all that. So um, when he uh, did this Monday night thing that wasn't working, he asked me to, to help make it work. So, you know, of course if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it. So I, I kind of put everything else on the back burner like my books, and my clothing line, throttle squad, and throttle squatted, painting, everything, really. I didn't think I would have to, but I underestimated how difficult it would be to make that club work. So it ended up taking up all of my time, and I couldn't work on any of this other project. So, but two weeks ago, or a month ago, maybe, I, I quit. Well, I did quit. I put other people in, in positions where they can kind of, and I'm, I'm, I'm still go and I, I promote it kind of, but because I don't want to remove my name from it, but because then people would stop going. So I, I just put another team in charge and in place and they kind of follow my direction. And um, now it's freed up some time so I can work on those other things.
0: And are you documenting your journey through all this? Like with a no, journal I just, or?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I'm so upset. I really wish I was, well, if I would have been smart, I would have had a bit of filming every single day. When I, since when I came home, and then after a year, I would have released, you know, a year, the first, Michael Allen, the first year, or something like that, documentary. And I, I, and then since I, but since I didn't do it, since I didn't start it back then, I feel like it's, why, why do it now? You know, it doesn't make any sense to do it now. But I, next year, I'll would, I would probably think, well, I really should have done it last year. So, you know, it's frustrating. Other people have always documented what I do, and they do it very well, and they reap the benefits of it.
0: Do you think you're going to do a book or something, or?
1: Yes. Yes, I've got three books um, in, in the one book that I have written that the publishers want to change into three books, because they say that it's, there are three books there. I, I kind of felt it when I wrote it, and it felt very heavy with topics, because it's not only my autobiography, but it's the story of the club kids and it's the story of techno coming to New York and it's the story of ecstasy coming to New York and it's Peter Gation's story and it's a story and Paul's story and it's World of Wonder story and, it's, you know, it's techno and acid house story and house music and the story and the history of club land. It's a lot of stuff. So there are three books there. There's a, a history of the club kids, which is more of a, like a sociological book. Um, and then there's my, my autobiography. And then there's um, a, a story about all the clubs and the, the party invitations and stuff, like the coffee table book. And when you separate them, the, the books make much more sense. They're much easier to comprehend and, you know, package.
0: So you have, like, so many projects on the go, basically, right? Lots of... Okay. Yeah,
1: plus my clothing line, and then, God of God, and then um, my painting, and traveling to other cities, and,
0: you know. Uh, how's your clothing line doing, or, that's, or
2: that... Oh, I
1: have put it on hold, because i was doing that regularly. Right I'm starting now, now that I'm... Not doing that, I'm setting everything up and getting
2: ready to go now. Carla, Michael ends off by talking about his art show. Did he ever follow through with his idea for the art show? And when you spoke to him, did you think he would?
0: Michael talked a lot about this art show, and it really inspired him and motivated him. And I think it was a really big deal for him. But I think he finds it very hard to deliver on things. I think he lacks the ability to take small steps to kind of make it to the home run. I think he just wants instant gratification. He wants the show to be done. But from friends I know that have done art shows, it can take years to put an art show together. And he's a controversial um, artist, so I think he could be very successful. He could do really well. It's just a matter of him applying himself and just not giving up on getting his art show and maybe starting a lot smaller than he wanted to.
2: Carla, you asked him where he thought he saw himself in five years. Where do you see him in five years? Do you think he'll even still be alive? Gosh, that's really hard to tell. I don't know.
0: I mean, I'm going to bring in something personal that's just happened recently in my life, to say that I don't know if I can even state where I think he'll be in five years or even alive. Just a few days ago, October 5th or 6th, I was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. And breast cancer has spread through my body to nine different spots. I was immediately put into a hospital and I met... Four or five doctors in three days have gone through eight tests, have already started on radiation, will continue from there to go to chemotherapy, maybe surgery. I have a long road ahead of me, and this has changed my life. And so I don't know where I'm going to be in five years. I know I want to be alive, and I know I'll do what it takes to be alive. And that's a question for Michael. Michael, do you want to be alive in five years? And how much will you sacrifice to be alive? And I think that's um, what I think you really have to want to live. And so for me, I'm going to live. I'm not going to let cancer win. I'm too young for that. I have a beautiful family. I love my life. And I'm going to get it back.
2: Thanks, Carla. We should note that Carla recorded these answers to our questions from her hospital bed at 3 in the morning. It's one of the only times she could find some peace and quiet from her exhausting regime in her fight against cancer. And I know I speak for everyone who works on Stand Up Speak Up and to all of those who listen that we are all wishing Carla a healthy and speedy recovery. Before we go, after listening to what Michael Alec had to say in the second part of this two-part show, I was thinking about some items at Stand Up Speak Up Apparel. Carla already mentioned some of them in Part 1 of this series, but I think it bears repeating. The Understand Addiction collection raises awareness and shows support for those dealing with the reality and aftermath of addiction. But I would also like to toss in a second collection at the end of this show. That's the Support Survivors collection. Now, I know this primarily deals with those who are or have experienced domestic violence at the hands of someone they love. But there are also different kinds of survivors. With what Carla is going through in her battle against cancer, she is and will be a survivor. I'm reminded of one of the tank tops in the collection that simply states, healing is possible. You can visit online at StandUpSpeakUpApparel.com. I'm your guest host, Peter Anthony Holder. Thanks for joining us. The Stand Up Speak Up podcast is made in Canada copyright 2018. Find us online at standupspeakupapparel.com.
0: If you have a moment, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to
1: Stand Up, Speak Up.